0: Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to another epic
1: edition of The Jerry Jones Show, hosted by Jerry Jones, along with his sidekick, Kevin Anderson. Each and every episode is guaranteed to increase your profits and decrease your stress in dentistry. Welcome to the
0: show. Hello,
1: everyone. This is Jerry Jones with Jerry Jones Directs. I'm excited to bring you this month um, another fantastic uh, interview, no exception as always. But uh, this month, I've um, managed to uh, convince my good friend and um, longtime uh, advisor in on video and audio, and on the use of uh, testimonials and storytelling in marketing. Um, so today, we're going to focus predominantly on uh, on the story, um, and this may not be uh, a, a direction you've ever considered going. But um, the longer I'm, the longer I'm involved in business and marketing, um, the more uh, the more I see and understand the value and importance of storytelling, um, and that's typically done through the use of testimonials, but not just any old testimonial. So I've asked my good friend uh, Mr. Ron Sheets. Um, Ron's out of Cleveland, Ohio. I've known Ron for a long time. Um, he's worked with me at some of my own events. He's produced some of my events. Um, and I've referred a number of uh, private clients to Ron um, for um, for use of, of videography and testimonial gathering and um, distribution of uh, of testimonial content to develop a story about your dental practice. Um, and, and for a minute before I bring Ron on, I want to I want to spend just a second on on what's happening in dentistry and how what we talk about today uh, can can really help you um, redefine or define who you are in your local community. Um, I I just released the 2016 edition of the State of Dentistry. Many of you have read it. Um, Commoditization of the industry is is rampant right now. California, for example, is more or less completely commoditized. It's a mess. Um, It's hard to differentiate yourself in almost any community in California. Texas is becoming that way. Uh, New York's been that way. number of states where differentiation by just hanging out your name and who you are and what you specialize in or what you love to do is really sort of a thing of the past. And so we have to rely on more sophisticated methods to differentiate and to fight the forces of commoditization. And if you're not unique or different and you can't explain or have someone explain to prospective patients why you're unique or different or why someone should choose you, and that's probably the most important question for you to be able to answer is why should any prospective patient choose you as their dentist? So we're going to get in today's call and I think at the end of the at the end of this audio you're going to really have a better understanding of how to do that, um, the process that's involved, and why. So don't take this month's CD lightly. This is very important material that we're going to be covering and it's a very important way that you must use if you want to differentiate stand apart and fight the forces of commoditization. So, um Ron, uh, I'm assuming you can hear me okay. You're out in Cleveland?
0: I am. I hear you fine.
1: Fantastic. And um thank, you, thank of, you for thank uh, you for letting
0: me be on the call with your uh, with your listeners.
1: I appreciate well, I'm happy you're here. Um and not just because you're, you know, there by the rock and roll uh, Hall of Fame either. Um which you and I have both been to <laughs> more than yeah. once. Um I'm kinda tired of it, frankly, but uh we've both been there. Um but I- I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're um gonna be going over what you're what you're gonna talk about today and in, in, in our conversation and, and um and contribute and help our our subscribers uh improve their practices through this through a process of differentiating theirs among the sea of others. Um so why don't we just go ahead and get started? We've we've kind of talked a little bit about what we'll talk about today, but we don't have a script, so you and I do fairly well just kind of you know bouncing off of each other and and going through some talking points that we have arranged. So, um, Ron, I'll just kind of let you take it from here, and you know I'll just kind of chime in and ask questions and and seek clarification um, where it may be needed. So,
0: okay, turn it over I to you, sir. That. I appreciate that. I'll, uh, I'll start, if you will, at the beginning, because I was brought up you know, from the understanding of, of never assume that people know who you are or what you do and that type of thing. So I'll, I'll probably start a little bit there and <clears throat> just give some back, back history on me. Um, uh, first, in getting connected with you, as you said, top of this, we've known each other for a long time. We um, got connected, Jerry and I got connected through Dan Kennedy. And I've been doing work for Dan Kennedy for close to 10 years now. And, and, uh, and I knew of Jerry through Kennedy, but didn't know him personally. Uh, I knew of him from the work that he was doing and, and Dan's reference to him. And I had the pleasure of getting to know Jerry, uh, getting connected to him through uh, Dan. And, uh, and then we got to work together. And, and it's grown into more than just a working relationship. It's a, it's a true friendship. And I consider Jerry one of my really close friends and Confidants and, and mentors, and I'll talk a little bit more about that and importance to that later. But um, um, a lot of people, and, and you, you struggled with it a little bit in the intro, Jerry, and that's okay because I still struggle with it a little bit. But people, people kind of don't know what I do, uh, and, and the, the thing that people generally will tag me as is the video guy or the audio guy, and you know that I think comes with a stigmatism or a placement of, oh, that's, he's a guy with a video camera, and he just records videos or he records audios. And though that's the, what you might consider the deliverable of what I do. It's not really what I do, because I look at video and audio more as a communication tool, and uh, marketing is a communication. Uh, marketing is storytelling, really is storytelling. So really what I do is storytelling and marketing through video and audio. So I don't know if that clarifies it, but generally people will take, oh yeah, you're the video guy or I'll run into people and go, Oh yeah, you're the guy, I see it doing the videos and that. And that's, that's again the deliverable. But it's really important to understand that with a lot of video guys, and I'm not trying to I'm not bashing them, but with a lot of video guys, that's what they do. You tell them what you want, and then they just shoot the video and they create that content. Whereas uh, video and audio is really more than that. It's really a communication tool and you have to understand how that communication tool works how it connects with people, how people learn from it, how people use it, how they interact with it in their life and that. So really having understanding of the medium is far more important than just being able to point a camera and record some content and then edit it together and distribute it. So it's really coming down to about the message uh, uh, that, that you communicate through it. So that's really what I do is I'm really more of a salesperson and a marketer who uses the medium of video and audio to communicate that messages for my clients, so just to give a little clarification on that. Um, <clears throat> I got involved in the in the dental field. I'm not a dentist, and it gives me kind of a unique perspective because I am a dental patient. Uh, I have been a dental patient all my life, and I got involved in the dental field um, in helping dentists market their practices and themselves with my own personal family dentist, um, a woman that. Uh, practices, a, a two-chair practice in uh, North Royalton, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland, and uh, always struggled to try to attract patients in that. And I didn't get involved in trying to teach her how to bring in more patients, but really to teach her how to connect better with patients and communicate uh, how she was different and really get her to help understand what patients were buying, to use that nasty term in dentistry, but they're, you know, they're buying dentistry they're buying dental services. But I started working with my own personal family dentist uh, and helping her. And some of the early marketing and, and video uh, online content and some DVD distribution that we did with her really helped transform her practice. So she's still a two-chair operator. She never really had any interest in getting bigger than that. What she really wanted to do was she wanted to change the type of patient that she was working with. And that was to mean somebody who was really looking for value rather than just price. And uh, she has transformed her practice, not necessarily on everything I've done, but I've really changed her thinking about marketing and about connecting with the patient as a person because people buy people, they don't buy dentistry. And uh, I just, when I went in for my last cleaning, which was about three weeks ago, uh, she told me that um, she's got a, a person to buy her practice and she's looking forward to retiring. And enjoying life with a grandkid. So she's, you know, mm-hmm. she's looking forward to life after dentistry. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how I got started into dentistry. And, of course, one thing leads to another. And then getting connected with the right people, like Jerry, you know, introduces me to other, uh, you know, people in the dental world. And it's just expanded from there. And my specialty now is in dentistry and creating the, the stories for, for dentists. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into more about that story as we, we go along here, Jerry.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, Well, you you brought up an important point um, uh, about uh, distinguishing who you are. Now, it wasn't my intention to spend any time on this, but um, if you were to ask most dentists, what do you do? I'm a dentist. Um, You know, they don't really typically think of themselves beyond being what their profession is identified as. So, in other words, someone looks at you, they say, oh, you're a videographer. No, 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 no. I'm a storyteller and I use video to tell a story, to sell. So a dentist, in my mind, um they deliver the professional services of dentistry, but they really must think of themselves as a marketer of dental services. Because if you don't engage in the marketing of dental services, you're really dead before you even leave, you know, you're you're dead meat before you've left the gate. You're losing that horse race before, you know, you get a quarter of the way down the first stretch. So um, there's a mindset shift required, which you made very early on, which I made very early on. Um, I am a marketer of new patient services, of patient retention, now of you know dental franchise. Uh, I'm not a dental franchisor. I am a marketer of a dental franchise. So there's a mindset mind shift that needs to take place, and and I think you identified that um, brilliantly in what you went through. So for for our, for our listeners making sure that, you know, your mind is in the right place on what it is you do, you're responsible predominantly for filling your practice with new patients through any number of media, one of which is storytelling through video. So um, I, I think that was an important point to just kind of, you know, review and make sure it was understood why you, why you went through what you, just, what, what you just did. So go ahead, Ron. The,
0: the, I think the thing that people find being a member with you, is And I hear this a lot in, in working with your members, is that your stuff, and they're referring to your marketing, your FSIs, your newsletter, all that, your stuff, the deliverable that you do, is being different. It's different than everything else anybody else does in the dental field. And I think that that's a key point that is it, isn't isn't – it's understood but is often lost sight of. And let me clarify what I mean by that is – It's easy when you're marketing dental services to get into marketing the dental services, meaning selling free exams or free x-rays or teeth whitening for life or Invisalign or implants. It's easy to get into selling that stuff. And it's not really what people buy. What people buy is the person or the people that they're going to have a relationship with. So it's easy when you see other dentists, doing advertising that's promoting this stuff, especially with the proliferation of corporate dentistry, with the Aspen Dentals of the world, the Heartlands and that, where they're just turning massive numbers of people through. I mean, they're running dental mills or dental carousels, as patients generally tell me what they call them. It's easy to see what they're doing there and see, okay, well, that's working. So I need to do that message. And what ends up happening is when you do that message, you're now fighting in that world. I liken it to going into... You know Times Square in New York City at the height of rush hour, and looking around and just being inundated by all the billboards and the messages and all of that stuff that's going on. And when you start to fight the marketing battle with the way everybody else is playing it, the big boys, if you will, you get lost in all of those messages. Whereas when you start promoting and communicating and telling stories, not only about yourself, but also about your patients and their experiences, It resonates differently. It resonates differently with different patients, higher-value patients. Um, And and I think in every dentist I've ever interviewed, one of the questions that I ask is, why did you get into dentistry? And everybody has their own unique story. But one of the commonalities that I hear in all of those stories is they got into dentistry – to help people in one way or another that's the message is that they like people they got into it to help people they love dentistry they love working with the hands and that type of thing and that's a different message than just selling dental services and if to, to drill that down they got into dentistry because they wanted to help people one of the things that I've learned about dentistry is dentistry is not about teeth it's not about fixing teeth straightening teeth making teeth whiter Fixing Cat its not about that. It's about transforming lives. I mean, I hear stories from patients all the time about how when they got their smile reconstruction or they got their or they got their braces or they got the dentures or the implants, whatever it is, is that their personality changed. They became more confident. They became more self-assured in that. So dentistry, I don't think is about dentistry. I think it's about transformation. It's about transforming personalities. And that, um, that's actually... What I find, the kind of patients that I end up talking to and working with, that's what they're looking for in dentistry. Even if it's just a dentist to do their maintenance and cleaning every six months, they want somebody they can have a relationship with and that they can trust. And it's it, I think it's think about transformation. It's not about dentistry. I don't know if I can drive that point enough. And well, it's easy you, to get caught said- up in
1: you said a couple of things <clears throat> that I think are really important for folks to understand. Um, the last thing you said is trust. And I'm, I've written a couple of notes down here. Um, it, it, you know, when you are trying, I mean, let's face it, we do business with people we know, like, and trust. Um, you and I do business together, t- you know, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of business together, tens of thousands of dollars of business together, because we tr- there's a level of trust between you and between myself. Um if you look at a very simple relationship between a grocery store and a customer um, that customer frequents a grocery store they typically get into a habit of going to the same grocery store for particular things Um, maybe one store that they like has great produce they have a trust level that's been established with that grocery store and 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 the quality of produce that's put out perhaps another it's prices on commodity items like cereal flour sugar they know that that store always has the lowest prices but their produce is absolute crap. It's garbage. It's like literally yesterday's garbage, right? So they, have, so they have a trust level with pricing in one place. They have a trust level with the quality in another place. But, but in order for you and I as business owners, and, 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 and I'm, I'm, while well, I'm not a dentist, I've got the dental office, and so I can completely understand this, it, it's difficult to convey to a prospective patient why they should trust you. Because you know, mom, before she makes that appointment for her two or three or four or nine kids, it needs to have some level of reassurance that she's making the right decision. She needs to trust that she's making the right decision. So conveying trust and, 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 and having that, what is put in front of a prospective patient convey a level of trust. Like you should trust us because. Um, sometimes you can use that word. Sometimes you need to tell a story or stories in order to develop that level of trust. So I think trust in, in how you convey that someone should trust you is a challenge. It's a major, major challenge. And if you're not using video or testimonials written or otherwise, um, it's difficult to, to convey that. Um, it can be done through affiliations like, you know, Dr. Uh, Jerry, you know, uh, Wellness Springs Dental of Salem participates in, you know, 98 different um um, community events every year supporting the community donating over a hundred thousand dollars annually blah 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 that 's one way to convey trust um, but it 's not necessarily something that everybody buys into um, so that 's you know it 's one one layer of trust if you will. The other thing you said is it 's not what you are it 's who you are um, and i and i 've frequently used that example of dr oz um, you got to I mean, you know, you got to think that Mehmet's not any better of a physician than any other physician who's been trained and been exposed to what Mehmet's been exposed to. But because of his status, because of who he is, he's famous. He's on Oprah. He's got his own show. Um, You know, he's in the media regularly. I mean, he is someone who has a high level, who conveys a high level of trust because of who, not what. So in pursuit of of decommoditization and pursuit of differentiation and in pursuit of standing out among a sea of thousands of other dentists, it isn't what you are that will not differentiate. It's who, right? Um, it's who, who are you and why should I trust you? So, um, uh, those are important points. And, and so in any, in any marketing that we do to promote a practice, mine or any other dental office, um, it's important to keep in mind that you know we want patients, prospective patients, calling us not because of what we are. That's commodity, right? We want them calling us because of who. Yeah.
0: I can give you two examples from a tactical standpoint on how this can be applied. Because generally the, the pushback that I'll get, when, and I don't want anybody to think that what I'm talking about is that you've got to completely change your marketing message to a completely who it's important. Because you still need direct response marketing. You still need marketing that's going to make the phone ring. It's going to bring patients in. But it's also messages that can be embedded within those marketing pieces. And I'll give you two examples. Is one. I have a client who, not in the dental industry, is in the automatic door business. So when you walk into the grocery store or you walk into the beer cooler at a grocery store, you walk up to a door that automatically opens. And that's done because if you're carrying an armfuls of beer, they don't want you setting up a, a you know, a 12-pack of beer down in order to be open the door. They want him, But the, this client is in the automatic door business. There's a uh, thing that we learned by accident, actually, and I identified it in uh, some work I was doing several years ago. He sent me a fax, and it was the first time I'd ever gotten a fax from him. And across the top of his fax uh, cover page, he had in small print a veteran-owned company. And he is a retired Vietnam veteran. He was in the U.S. Army. And that was the only place in all the marketing that I ever looked at and analyzed and researched about it, that was the only place that message ever was put. So I asked him about it. And he said that you know, he didn't think it was anything important about it. It was just something, an afterthought, he stuck on the top of a fax cover page. But in digging deeper, I found out he was actually having conversations with prospective clients about this, and they were comparing war stories or military experience about that. And in every case where this conversation took place, he got the business. He got the business because he was a veteran and he had connected with a veteran. And immediately there was this level of trust that automatically happened because of that. So, with that message or with that idea, with a dental practice in Maryland that I was working with. I was interviewing the patients and I was getting testimonials from their patients because I was building a television documentary program about their practice. And I consistently heard, it was a husband and wife practice. The husband was originally from the state of Massachusetts. The wife was from Maryland. Their practice was in Maryland. Every patient that I talked to, one of the questions I asked was why did you pick this doctor? And in a lot of cases, and I'm talking like more than 50%, I would hear well, I pick – I'll keep his name for, for, for his protection, but I, I picked Dr. Jones because he's from Massachusetts. I'm from Massachusetts. And just that one little thing was the trust trigger. I mean it's what created trust and bond between them. Now, that's a horrible way to pick a dentist, but mm-hmm. that's what's important to people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um you uh you spawned an idea with me, um, at my own dental office. Uh my partner Tom uh is a retired uh captain, um, Oregon Army National Guard, former TAC officer, just a real stand up guy you've met Tom. Um mm-hmm. and uh Tom and I co own the dental office here in, in Salem <clears throat> so that's something that we can leverage immediately, you know. In, it's in one of those marketing. dog whistles.
0: Yeah, it's a dog whistle.
1: Yeah, it, it dog whistle language, yeah, that's right. Um, and we just hired, well, we're in the process of hiring. We don't have the, the documents fi- back yet finalized, but um, we've been discussing, and, and I I feel pretty confident we've got uh, a gentleman coming on board who's uh, also a captain uh, in the U.S. Army, and he's about to be um, discharged. And, uh, you know, that that's something else we can leverage. Um, another vet, you know, uh, if you're a vet and you want to be a, around others who understand and know what you've experienced, um, good place for you to be. So dog whistle language. And those kinds of things define the who, not the what. And you're right, people don't make um, logical decisions often. They make decisions that make them feel comfortable and logic be damned. Um, so uh, anytime you can leverage those types of things, I think it's really important. I had a, a conversation with, uh, with a potential new member out of texas he's opening a brand new practice and um he's a hometown boy and he moved back kind of to his hometown a lot of family roots uh they own a lot you know his family owns a lot of ranch land and uh he was kind of a high school football stud um so people remember him and so we got to talking about that and i said you know it'd be kind of cool if you took one or two of your operatories and dedicated them to some local history um whether it's sports or ranching is really big there so you know ranching um, but customize those operatories and, and then talk about them in your marketing um, so that people can feel comfortable and a connection before they even know who you are. And we've, used, we've leveraged that in a lot of cases um, where, we, where we talk about what's unique about this doctor. Well, this particular doctor not only loves animals and she's got horses, but she also has a dog in her practice that's a therapy pet. And you talk about dog whistle language. I mean, that's real dog whistle language there when you have a therapy dog in your dental practice. And um, that has been a, a deciding factor for a number of patients. They talk about it on the phone calls to the office. Oh, I see Dr. So-and-so has a therapy dog. You know, um, really, that would be cool. Um, I'm nervous as I'll get out. I don't like going to the dentist. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's further defining on a, on a small level – but important level, it's a little hinge that opened a big door. Um, the what, not you know, not the what but the who. So love it, love yeah. it. You,
0: you made a, You made an important point there is that people are uncomfortable. How many people in this country are don't like going to the dentist, they're uncomfortable going to the dentist, and when they go to the dentist, it's about the dentistry. <clears throat> now you have this connection. What happens? It gives you something else to talk to the doctor about. It has you something else that the conversation that goes on in the operatory and when you walk away from, I don't know, a half-hour or an hour appointment, it wasn't an hour or half an hour. It wasn't painful. It was pleasant because you were there with a friend. And even more so, I think it's even more important to communicate is that that friend isn't just a friend. They become your dental advisor. And that's an important transformation to make in the relationship with patients. Is not just being somebody who's selling dentistry, who's selling dental procedures, but becoming an advisor. Uh, Again, another story about a client not in the dentistry field, but actually in the sewing and craft business, a client that I have in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She has such a fantastic rapport and relationship developed with her her, her audience that when she puts out a promotional for her retail store on a particular sewing machine, for example, um, that's the thing that people come in and want. And she has told me, I'm talking with her, she's run into this many times, when she puts out a promotion, For an $8,000 sewing machine, and she tells that this is the thing that you want. She's got people coming into the store saying to her sales reps, that's the one I want because that's what Amy said I need to have. And the problem they run into is we just sold out of that. I don't care. Get me another one because that's the one Amy (laughs) told me I need. And that's a powerful thing to be able to have. And you don't have to sell dentistry anymore because now you're an advisor.
1: Yep. Well, the best, the best appointments that and you can ask, you know, I mean, any dentist on this call listening in um, would, would absolutely say their best patients are patients who've been referred to them. Is it, It's rare that a referred patient goes south um, versus a patient who comes in off of any other marketing um, has a higher propensity to go south in the relationship. Referrals um, feel like they already know, like, and trust you. There is a pre-established relationship and a transfer of trust. That takes place in that referral relationship so um you know that's that's a really powerful place uh to be able to sell dentistry uh from and it, it almost makes it unfair um your closing rates are tremendous um and, and the and the level of um effort required to get there far less so yeah i mean it's a, a wonderful wonderful place to start from
0: yeah, that's what I call the transfer of trust triangle. I talk about that in my book. But that's where, when you talk about a referred patient, <clears throat> people go and say, "Okay, I need to find a dentist," and now they're faced with this search, which is painful, even more painful than actually subjecting themselves to the dental experience. But they now have to go on this search, and they know they can go online, and they know that they can look at the advertising, and they know that they can look at the, you know, the uh, call to practice, and that. But their first course of action will be to ask friends, family, and coworkers who do you go to. Why do you go there? Because they trust that person. So when that person who's already a patient says to their friend, family, or a coworker, this is where I go because I like and trust them, then that's the transfer of trust because the person asking for the referral says, okay, you and I are alike because we're friends. And if that doctor is able to help you and we're alike, you and I, then the doctor can help me. And that's a a crazy psychological thing that happens in that with a referral. And that type of thing can be manifested and created through the right testimonials. And getting the right testimonial story, not just the testimonials is, oh, Dr. Jones is a great doctor and he doesn't hurt me. Those aren't aren't real powerful testimonials. But that kind of referral base can be manufactured. I know it's a dirty word, but it can be created through... Media in audio and video, and even written testimonials, when you have the right ones. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Um, so let's. Uh, you mentioned your book, um, <clears throat> and I've, I've read your book. It's a phenomenal book. It's it, there's probably um, far more instruction in the book than uh, than most will ever imagine and ever pick up on. It's it is like the only book I've ever read on or ever even seen on testimonials and and the process behind the process that you use to gather um that and what you do with it um can you spend a a minute or two on the book because and and because i think it's it's something that everybody on the on this call should get and you and i both know and and hopefully the folks on the call know that the books aren't money makers (laughs) you know um the royalty on a book is like uh really (laughs) thanks i'll go buy um i'll go buy a quarter of a cup of coffee with that um literally. So can you talk a little bit about your book? Because I, I do think it's important um, let people know where they can get it, and, and then we can move on to talk about um, uh, mistakes made by docs in getting testimonials.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, the book, like you said, the books aren't moneymakers. The book for me was an opportunity really to, to start getting my message out there and start communicating to people as to how to do testimonials for their business. I wrote the book specifically for dentists. It's called Your Patient Attraction Secret Weapon, How to Have a Referral-Driven Dental Practice and Never Advertise Again. Um, It's written specifically for dentists, and all the examples and all of the uh, uh, work in it is from actual work I've done. But it really is a message that's applicable to any business, because marketing is marketing, and testimonials are testimonials. It's it's just interpersonal communication. But the book is really a mechanical book. Uh, It's the Actually, my entire process that I've developed in how I go about getting testimonials for clients who hire me to do this for them. So, for instance, one, one doctor that you referred to me, uh, Jerry, in um, Texas in near Dallas, our orthodontist. Yes, our orthodontist. Yes, uh, I'm working on, and you know, it's been it's been a long project, but it's a project that will have shelf life. It'll never go out of date. Because unless she gets out of practice and unless she sells the practice, it's always applicable. But just to give you an example, um, I started with patients, you know, interviewing patients and gathering patients back in January. And we're about to wrap up this, and it's only an audio program. We're about to wrap it up uh, probably by the end of July. But I have, and let me see, I just pulled some numbers real quick. I interviewed 21 patients um, via telephone. So a very simple process, which I lay out in the book, get them on the phone and just add questions and I start talking to them about their story and tell me about their experiences with her and all that, and all that's captured to audio, and then will be crafted it'll be edited into a program that paints this picture as her being the best choice for their orthodontic, for them for their children, why you need to pick this person, and just to give you some perspective on it, I have 21 people I have 209 pages of transcripts from the interview out of 21 people. Wow! So it's it's a it's a book, and not just the thing that I lay out in my book is that how to go about and get that kind of quality testimonial and story, but also what you can do with it once you have it. So, for instance, for this particular orthodontist. Not only am I going to come out of this program and hand off to her an audio program that is likely going to be 30, 40, 45 minutes long in audio, and we can get into talking about length in a bit because there's always that argument of short versus long, but she's going to end up with probably a 45-minute audio program on CD that she can provide to patients, and its primary purpose is hearing stories of patients' experiences with her, not about the dentistry but about who she is, how she takes Mm -hmm. care of them, why she takes care of them. She even tells her story, and um, you've talked with this lady a lot, and you know her personality, but in actually in a two-hour interview I did with her, she broke down and cried, and she is not the type of person that you would picture a crier, but in her telling the story, she broke down into tears on the call and then apologized for it. Now, for me, I'm like, no, no, that's, that's okay. gold. <laughs> but for me, I'm like, I just knocked it out of the park because yeah. you, can't, you can't fake that stuff. I mean, you can, but people know, and yeah. the, way, the way that you go about doing it, it's, it's real. It's absolutely real, and that's, that's what the book is about. It's how to go about and get these kind of testimonials and then what to do with it. In her particular case, I've got 209 pages of transcript. I've got probably – between 11 and 15 hours of recorded content. So, okay, so she's going to get a 45-minute program. But, no, she's got more than that. She's got gold because she's got sound bites in, in text and in audio from patients. But that stuff can all be handed off to Jerry and say, Jerry, here's testimonials that we can use in my marketing. Or here's where I can, if I have space where I need to really solidify, if I'm selling or if I'm promoting and marketing, um, you know, Invisalign instead of metal braces. Here's here's a comment from a patient who's had this. Now it's a real person. Again, it's that transfer of trust triangle. So the book really gets into the mechanics of how about going to do it, how you do it, and then also what you can do with it. That's what the book does.
1: Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> there is no way that a patient, uh, you know, a mom, because this is an orthodontist, a mom. Uh, that listens to this audio program for even the first 20 minutes is not going to pick up the phone and make that appointment. They're just, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when you have a, when you have established a preponderance of proof uh, in a courtroom, somebody's guilty and you put them away, uh, this situation is for the best. Uh, You've established a preponderance of proof that this is the person uh, or group that you should call to take care of this particular need. Um, and in my opinion um uh, there probably won't be anything more powerful that she will ever do in her in the life of her career than what she's done with you because um like you said you you struck gold and you pulled out of her emotion and that emotion is extremely powerful when it's coupled with um the stories that back up that emotion that that display her uh, her intensity, her intention, her authenticity. Which I mean, you know that that's that's real. Um, I was at an event uh, speaking at an event uh, a month or so ago, and um, the gentleman that opened the event it was his event and he'd asked me to come speak. And um, the gentleman that opened the event uh, started off very, started the event off very smartly, um, told a very personal story about about losing his brother, and that story. Had everyone's attention. It had everyone immediately um, in a different place mentally than what they otherwise would have been had that story not been told. And uh, you know, maybe Ron, I mean, I, maybe you could spend a minute or two as to why stories are so powerful and why they have the leverage that they have.
0: Well, what do we do? What do we do with our children? What do teachers do with our children to teach them? They tell stories. And there's a message in the story. And everybody connects with that story differently. And the power in that is they connect with that story based on their own experiences. So, for instance, you know, our friend and mentor, Dan Kennedy, has talked about this before, is that in his big speeches that he gave in the, in the big super arenas and that kind of thing, he had small little pieces in his story where he talked about how he was an alcoholic or he also talked about how he went bankrupt or how he stuttered as a child. They were just small little sentences, pieces, little dog whistles. And he would have people come up to him afterwards and comment. I stuttered when I was a kid, or another one would say I went bankrupt or another one said I was an alcoholic, but it's those, it was those little things that resonated with different people in the audience. So story, or to use another example, you know, you look at, You look at um, the Bible. You look at, who is it, uh, Blanchard's books, you know, the one-minute salesperson, the one-minute manager, and that. Those are all stories. And in there, there's a message. And that person reading or hearing that message, they learn what's important to them from that story, as opposed to somebody saying, here's what's important. Here's the features, benefits, advantages of this. The old mechanical way of selling is that storytelling is much more primal. It's much more emotional, much more psychological. It's much more impactful on our emotion and our psychology. Because as we talked about, people don't buy for the reasons we think they buy, they buy for their own reasons. And when we connect with those reasons through stories, which is disarming because we're not selling, we're telling stories like your host of the event, he connected so powerfully with the people from the very beginning. He had them as he used the, you know, he had them at hello. And that's yeah. what's really, really important is that people make the assumption, I like this person because I understand this person. People don't buy from us because they understand what we do. They buy from us because they think
1: we understand them. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep, and that's exactly what where I thought you would go is it, it starts out at a very young age. We're conditioned uh, to listen and make connections through stories. Um, I've, got a, I've got a really good example. That's a very recent example from two nights ago. Um, my oldest daughter is extremely active. She has what amounts to a full-time job all summer, and then during school she's got a part-time job. Uh, she works at a grocery store. She's a courtesy clerk, and um, uh, she's just a go-getter. Uh, she's the only one of her friends at age you know, 16, like the day after she turned 16, that, that went out and found a job. None of her friends a year and a half later have a job, by the way, which I find really sad and a failure on a lot of parents' parts, um, not getting their kids out there to understand what working is all about. Um, but that aside, she's she's had some health challenges. And so um, she had, a, she had uh, a relapse here recently. And so the doctor wanted to put her back on prednisone. And I kind of talked him into... Um, Going a different route, which is which requires a lot less recovery time. With prednisone, you have to titrate down, and it's a nightmare, and it takes a long time. And prednisone is just a very, very bad, 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 bad drug to be on, um, especially for a young a young woman. Um, and so, I didn't want her to. I didn't want to see her on it, see her on it again. So we went a different route. Um, the different route is not as powerful. Um, it can also have some relapses, but it would give her the chance to potentially play. Um, Sports in the fall which is you know really important to her it's her senior year and i really and she missed out on um half of a season last year because of this and so um i've had a hard time getting a message through to her one that would resonate enough that would impact her behavior and she because she is a go-getter you know she wakes up in the morning and she has plans until you know the time she goes to bed and it's every day she's just a very active kid constantly going and and so this this uh her condition requires resting, you know, and not going full bore all the time. And she's kind of stepped right back. She's feeling better, and so she stepped right back into her old habits. And, I, and I, and you know, I've been very gruff with her about it. And I said, look, you know, you can't keep doing this. You're not going to be able to play sports. So I told her a story. Um, the other night she went for a walk, and, and then before she got back to the house, I walked towards her, and, and I told her a quick story. I thought maybe this will get through to her. So I told her about my experience when I was thirteen, fish hook in my right eye, couldn't see, couldn't I had no depth perception for about five or six years. Um, with both eyes. Um, when you get a fish hook that's stuck right in the middle of the dead center of your eye, it does funny things to you. So I missed out um, on sports all through high school because I couldn't see. I couldn't catch a fly ball, I couldn't throw a football anymore, I was a quarterback, so I was kinda you know, I couldn't even shoot basketballs really well. So I was kinda screwed and I couldn't play sports in high school. So uh, I told her, I said, look, I didn't have a choice. I pretty much, well, it, you know, was predetermined that I couldn't play sports that I wanted to play. I probably could have wrestled fine, but I wasn't a wrestler. So, um, you know, I couldn't play tennis even. So I said, I, there was a choice made for me to not play sports in high school. Um, you have an opportunity to make a choice that will allow you to play sports your last year of high school. So it's up to you whether you want to do that or not. If you want to remain active, and fight the doctor's orders and mine, you know, and not rest, not be resting every day for a couple of hours and just relaxing and allowing your body a chance to continue to heal, then you won't play sports that's the, you know. And so after telling her this story, I kind of saw light bulbs go off, um, and she's like, okay, I got it. So it's really up to me. I go, yeah, it's up to you, 100%. Um, So if you want to change your behavior, you will change the outcome. If you don't want to change your behavior – you're going to get an outcome that's predetermined for you, not by you, but by your you know, your body is going to predetermine what the outcome is. So that story, that connection with her and passing her, my experience, made a big difference in, I think, in that message getting through. So there again, the example of story is, is really, really critical. I think the important thing
0: that you said, and you nailed it, you drove it home, is that stories impact behavior. And what is it that we want people to do? We want people to come into our dental practice, we want them to pick us. They, we want them to spend money, you get to very basics. We want them to spend money with us on dental services because we believe we're the best choice and the best opportunity for them. So we can either do that by trying to pitch them and sell them, or we can do that by telling them stories that impact their behavior. Because in the end, they make a decision, and that's their behavior. And behavior is driven by things that are not logical. Just you know, And, and they're, they're much more impactful. When you said fisheye, a fishhook stuck in the center of your eye. When you said that, I've never had a fishhook stuck in my eye, but my immediate reaction, my visceral reaction, was, Ugh, you know, <laughs> I don't, think I can imagine what that feels. And that, that's more instructive, impactful, educational, motivational. It's all those things more so than saying, "Yeah, I had an accident when I was a kid." I think the thing that people lose sight of is that the things that that we do. And that the experiences that we have, we take them for granted as just being ordinary and commonplace. They're they're part of who we are. They're what we are. And to us, they're not important. They're just everyday things. But they really are important to other people when we share those experiences and stories, not just ours, but patients
1: too. Because what do we want to do? We want to impact behavior. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you're right. And And we don't. Often understand the power that our story can have on someone else, and, um, and and if that gets through my daughter's head, great. If it doesn't, then you know I'm kind of left at going back and being a grouchy dad, and you know, um, and and but I I I would rather go the route of storytelling in any situation. I mean, and and it's no different for a dentist who has a patient in the chair who isn't compliant. You know, it's it's basically telling a story. Look, I I, I just had a patient in here last week. They're a smoker. Um, we found, you know, I was able to identify with this cool little light, uh, a cancerous lesion. Um, the good news is that patient immediately went to, you know, wherever I referred him, and it turns out it was, a, it was you know, not a good cancer. Um, and so they, they're going to take care of it. Had I not caught that, and they would keep smoking, um, they would end up dying of mouth um, of oral cancer, and it would be a horrible, terrible, long, painful death. Um, you know, Mr. Smith, if you want to keep smoking, that's your choice. But understand that if you, you know, this small little cancerous lesion that I, that I think I found here, unless you choose to do something about it, that's your future. Um, and I don't want you in a position where I'm getting notice of you being in the hospital or worse. That's not what either one of us wants. So, You've got some tough decisions to make. I'm going to be here to to support you in those decisions. My team and I will be here to support you. So whatever that is, I mean, you know, relate that to any anything a dentist uh, can can treat and can you know use story to get through to a patient. it's It's the same thing as you know there's three there's three things we can do with your tooth. you know you've got this massive filling. Um, we can do nothing. we can watch it, and I can tell you from my experience it's going to grow the 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 fillings going to you know just get larger and larger. Um, we could uh, put a, uh, you know, a simple uh, uh, filling in. Um, the filling is gonna cover four surfaces of your teeth, so that means they're gonna have to zip off and destroy a bunch of your tooth, and there's a very good chance that it'll break. Uh, there's also a very good chance that uh, the cavity's gonna come back uh, because it's so big, and there's no way to know for sure if we're getting all of it out. The third is we take as much of your tooth as we can away, preserve the, the root, and we put a crown on top. Um, and that way you've got a natural colored you know, natural colored crown. It's the best restoration. It's what I would do for my mother if she were sitting right here right now. It's the best option. The choice, however, is yours. We will do whatever you'd like to do. So, you know, using a little bit of mom in there and, you know, maybe you've had a patient that, you know, got a four surface filling recently and it blew out and you ended up doing a crown anyway and they spent $450 more than they should have. Use the story to convey the message because oftentimes just saying you need a crown isn't enough. Actually, not oftentimes, all the time saying you need a crown isn't enough to get people to take action. So adding that story adds immediacy, it adds perspective, and it also I believe helps build the, the value of uh, you know building trust. I, also, I, I think that's also something that comes out of that is, well, if this is what the dentist would do for his mom, he's not going to do something that his mom would want, not want done. Or wouldn't want, or doesn't need, uh, it helps. You know, it just helps the process along. Absolutely. So, uh, Ron, let's let's talk about a couple of mistakes. I mean, we're we're not long from finishing, um, and you and I had a lot of things to talk about. Um, let's talk about some common mistakes that dentists make uh, when they gather testimonials. First, the big thing is
0: um, most every dentist I've ever talked with understands the power and importance of testimonials. They also understand the obstacle of getting them. And generally the obstacle is higher in their mind than the value of having them and using them. And the old adage is how do you get a testimonial? You ask for it. And though that's true, I mean, you ask for something, you have to be very specific what you ask for. So one of the things that I see the mistake of is doctors, um, tasking their team with, it's your job to get patient testimonials, whether they be written or whether they be in video form. Video, everybody thinks is the largest obstacle that's out there because now you're going to put somebody in front of a video camera. But here's the thing that I think is the biggest mistake that everybody makes, and I'm going to use that as a big umbrella, everybody makes. Hey, Mrs. Jones, we love having you as a patient. Would you mind giving us a testimonial? And immediately what happens in the patient's mind is a testimonial. What is that? Okay, what do they want me to say? What should I say? What's my experience like? And so now all of this mental strife starts going on in the patient's mind because they like and trust you, so they want to please you, so they want to do what they think you need. So if you have them write something out um, or if you have them record something, you know, they'll generally say, well, Dr. Jones is a great doctor. I've been coming here for six years, and he's taking care of all of my patients, you know, my kids, and he takes care of my husband and my mother, and, and he's just a great doctor. That's a great ego stroke, and if you have, like, 30 of those that say the same thing, they're not not—they're not of much value because it's not true preponderance of proof. Here's how I teach people they I talk about in the book to change that question is it goes something like this. It's Mrs. Jones, we love having you as a patient, and you've had some, we think, really great experiences with us, and we'd love to work with more patients just like you. Would you mind sharing your experiences and your comments with us about your experiences here as a practice for yourself and for your family, because we really like to share that with people who are just like you, because we get a lot of questions and oftentimes we can't answer those questions. And really you're more suited to answer those questions because you're the patient. Would you mind sharing your comments and your thoughts with us? See, what I just did is I never use the word testimonials because people can give their comments and thoughts. What do people like to do? They like to talk about themselves so now we put them into the right frame of mind to now tell us a story. And then from there, we can ask them questions. And in my book, I go over questions as to what to ask once you've got them set up. So a big problem I see is, is people hamstring themselves by asking somebody for a testimonial, and people don't necessarily know what to say. So they, what I call they just provide diarrhea of the mouth. They just spit out the first thing that they come to their mind, and that's not very useful for you as a business. Because you, you want to connect with other people. So that's, I think, the biggest mistake. The other mistake is that when when you do get good ones, you don't use them. I mean, I have uh, our orthodontist friend. You know, I've got 209 pages of, of transcripts from audio interviews. There are thousands and thousands of pieces and sound bites and just nuggets within that. I mean, if I hand this over to you, Jerry and you take 209 pages of patient testimonial, you can turn this thing into probably at least a 40- or 50-page sales letter just on this content alone because if you – what is it? The uh, Socratic method is if you have somebody talk about themselves long enough, they'll tell you everything you need to know about them. That's what's in here. It's gold. So the, another big mistake I see is that people have this stuff, and then they don't use it. They don't leverage it and use it in every place they can. Um, I remember Bill Glazer, uh, former partner, Dan Kennedy, I remember him saying is is if you're ever creating a marketing piece and you have blank space, I mean, that's real estate you paid for. Fill it with a testimonial. Stick something in there. That's the second big mistake is that people don't use – I mean, I don't think that there should be any print, radio, TV, any kind of marketing that should go without a supporting testimonial. Now, that's the important part, supporting is what is it that you're promoting in there? The testimonial better support that method. It shouldn't be just something that's thrown in there randomly. So that may right. be the third big mistake. It's just people using testimonials as, as a band-aid. Oh, I'm just going to throw a testimonial in because I need to fill the space, and, and nobody's going to read it. So the, there's three that I think just on the use of testimonials in general that, that they make mistakes.
1: Yeah, great, good, good. Um, in our In our last five minutes or so uh, together, Ron, um, if there are a couple of other big um, messages that you would like uh, our listeners to take away, um, what would those be? I think the biggest, and this is an
0: area that I'm I'm focusing more and more on now, specifically with dentists. And that is the time period, between when the patient schedules an appointment with the practice, so this isn't getting into your, your area of marketing and attracting patients. This is when the patient actually makes an appointment, and they're going to come in, whether it's for a diagnostic, whether it's for maintenance, cleanings, x-ray, whatever, is that that time period between when they schedule the appointment and they actually come into the practice is the communication that happens between the practice with that prospective patient is, yes, yeah, they call, They scheduled the appointment, and now they're coming in. But what are they coming into? They don't know. They're coming into, they may have done their due diligence, but they're coming into a practice based on experiences they have had at other practices or with other doctors or with anything in general. That's what they're coming into. So they're already coming into um, potentially their guard up. I, I look at it like, you know, boxers when they go into the ring. They have to put their hands up in order to protect themselves from the jabs and the punches and being hurt. Patients come in the same way. They come in with the baggage that they carry from all their other experiences. So I think the area that I'm focusing on now is working with practices to really leverage that time frame between making the appointment and coming into the practice, whether it's a few days or a few weeks, is tell that patient what are they going to experience at this practice. Because I look at it this way. I think a patient comes to a practice for the first time. They stand outside that practice door, and whether they're an anxiety patient or not, they ask themselves, what are these people going to be like in here? and how am I going to be treated differently than I was treated at the last practice I was at or the last doctor I was at? So we need to really invest the time and money to communicate what this experience is going to be like. And I liken it to Walt Disney, Walt Disney Company. And I'm an annual pass holder at Walt Disney World in Orlando. Our family goes. We spend months at a time in the year in Orlando uh, going to Disney. And when I book a reservation at a Disney property or I make a reservation at a Disney restaurant, they've already got my money. I'm coming. Okay, I'm an annual pass holder. But even though I'm coming to stay at, I don't know, the Wilderness Lodge for seven days, ten days, I'm still getting pieces in the mail that are amping me up about this experience and how much fun I'm going to have and what it's going to be like when we get here and what's available to do and what the kids can do and all that. They already got my money, but what are they doing? They're getting me excited about this experience. because A mentor of mine told me, he said, uh, with regard to travel, he said the most fun part of any travel you go and do is what happens before you go and do it. It's the anticipation that gets you in the mood and prepares you for the trip. And then you go on it, and you're in a different frame of mind when you're on that trip with that experience. And I think that that's where we need to spend more time with the patient is getting them ready. Because so many patients have had bad experiences with dentists before. We want to let them know this isn't going to be that. This is going to be something entirely different. This is going to be something entirely more enjoyable. You're not going to be hurt. You're going to be respected. They're going to be gotten you on time when you're – I mean, there's a lot of things that can be communicated so that when that patient comes in, they're like, wow, this is really different before I even got here. I'm anxious to see what this is like. Now, what's that patient's frame of mind when they get there? They already have a propensity to like you and even possibly trust you. So now when you say, as you pointed out, you got a cavity, you're going to need a crown or we need to pull it, they're in a different state of mind to be able to accept your advice as advice rather than sales pitch. So I think that that's a, that's an area that so many of us in business at all, but in dentistry we make the mistake of not really respecting that relationship and that commitment the patient has made to us by simply scheduling an appointment. We need to treat them like they're the the only patient we have Um, because if we do, what are they going to do? They're going to tell their friends and their family about it. You can't believe what this doctor did. You can't be- and what does it do? Now, it's more referral patients, and it makes the whole job of shelling dentistry easier.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you brought up so many great, great points. Um, I, I don't even know where to start, but here's what I'd like everybody to do. Rewind the last five minutes of this, uh, of this program and re-listen to what Ron just went through. Um, because I think it's probably the most, most potent um, thing that we've talked about today uh, as far as impacting uh, patient visits, guest visits, um, and leveraging what you can do in advance to prepare your guests for consuming what you're about to provide to them and framing an experience that they will be not reluctant to engage, engage in um, but framing Experience that they will tell others about because it was a phenomenal experience. Um, few offices. I mean, I can't even think of one that I... I can't think of one profession, one uh, vendor that I use uh, that does what Disney does. Because like you, I mean, I've, I've been to Disney a number of times. Um, uh, Disneyland more than Disney World. Uh, and I've been to Disneyland a lot. Um, so... Uh, what they do, what they know about the psychology of, of this is not accidental. They didn't just, you know, they don't just do this for fun. Um, their intention of priming the pump and getting you ready for that experience uh, is absolutely intentional. They know, I guarantee you they have statistics on this, that they know the more they feed a visitor before they visit, the higher the dollars per head from that visit. The less they do, the less money that's spent. Um, and so, if you think of it in simple terms like that, um, what can I provide to my, my soon-to-be patient who has made an appointment that can get them interested, excited, and engaged, and and not i mean not like anybody's going to be happy to be there, but because of what you know because of what, um, but but get them in a frame of mind that is that has them far less reluctant and you know uh, more likely to show up for the appointment. Um, And if you look at it from that perspective, Ron, just getting people Mm -hmm. to show up and and cutting down on no-shows has such a tremendous value. Um, But further it it and couple it with enhanced spending and investment in oral health from those patients who are primed and ready for that experience. So, man, I think you've just shared some really great, great tips in this uh, last hour um and no wonder i i had you scheduled for this call <laughs> i mean no wonder um it's been phenomenal um while we're at the end what's the best way for folks to reach out uh ron and and communicate with you and learn more about what you what you do with uh, dental offices um and and uh leverage uh that story telling story selling process
0: well i appreciate i appreciate that and and I was remiss in not providing some information you asked about earlier, and that was with regard to the book. So I appreciate you asking about that. If people wanted to get a copy of the book, they can go to www.bookontestimonials.com forward slash book. That's www.bookontestimonials.com forward slash book, and they can get it there. And I mean, it's only, I don't know, it's a few bucks. or so. It's not that expensive. Um, Another way that they can get in touch with me, if they have a specific question, if they have a question specific to their practice, their challenges, their obstacles, or something like that, they can submit a question to me, and I answer all of these personally. They can go to www.askronsheets.com and that's ask, A-S-K, Ron, R-O-N, Sheets, S-H-E-E, T as in Tom, ziazebra.com and they can post a question there and that comes direct to me if they have more of an immediate uh, concern or need they can email me direct at ron at rj um, that's all traditional spelling: media m-e-d-i-a magic m-a-g-i-c.com uh, but there's three three ways that you can get more info or get you know reach out to me and i'll and i respond to all of that personally
1: fantastic great well ron thanks again for being on the call i appreciate it i uh, appreciate your time and i know our listeners uh certainly have um turned over uh, some new information and and new ways to look at their uh, their marketing and and their practice and differentiation you've given you've given some just phenomenal examples and ta- tactics and strategies as well so Appreciate it, sir. And for our listeners, thank you again for joining us. We'll be back again next month with another expert interview on the business of dentistry and marketing. And in the meantime, I appreciate it. Uh, if you have any questions, reach out to me, Jerry, at jerryjonesdirect.com, or visit us online at jerryjonesdirect.com. Thanks again, everybody. Appreciate it. Hey, Jerry Jones here. Thank you for joining me on this edition of the Jerry Jones Radio Show. You've reached the end of this segment. You can always listen in to the next show by visiting jerryjonesdirect.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or find the show at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Jerry Jones. For more information about Jerry Jones Direct, go to jerryjonesdirect.com or give us a call, 503-339-6000. Our member ambassadors are standing by to assist you. And once again, thank you for listening to The Jerry Jones Radio Show.